Hey everyone and welcome to a new episode here in the Startup Girls podcast. Today we have another English one, so I hope that more people of you can actually understand and also learn from the insights that we are bringing up in the next couple of minutes. So today I'm talking with Katharina, she's the founder of Ecomio and together we're talking about how she found her way to actually founding her own company, what she did before. She actually studied mechanical engineering and then went to consultancy. She also went abroad for studying and together we're talking about how she actually takes personal or also business decisions, how she actively also decides to make time for those decisions. And then we also have very valuable input on how she actually um, structures her team, how she makes sure that everyone can involve their fullest potential and also how she can actually hire the best people and give them what they need in order to perform best. So very nice episode again. And I would say Let's go. Enjoy. Welcome, Katharina. Um, really nice having you here with me on the podcast today. You're actually my second English-speaking guest. Or <laughs> I guess it also speaks English, right? You're also from <laughs> Germany originally, but um, it's really nice. Um, so more people can understand and follow your journey um, within the next, yeah, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So really great having you here. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. I guess English is better. Otherwise, I'll just speak in a mix of English and German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like to do that also. So yeah. we'll, just, we'll just keep it English today. Um, yeah, Katarina, you actually also have quite a journey behind you. You were in consultancy before, then became a founder and... Um, Had, or have the goal to make um, business travel more sustainable. So I would just like to start off and ask you to tell us a bit more about your journey and where you're coming from. Sure, yeah, happy <laughs> to do that. Um, yeah, so I, I believe, maybe to summarize it first, that it's all around pivots in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm basically originally from Munich, Germany, um, then decided like not a lot of other women to study engineering um, and I also decided not to stay in Munich. I went uh, to Zurich, to ETH Zurich, um, yes. to study mechanical engineering there and um, also over there there was another small pivot because I decided for myself that I need to look a bit outside of theory. So I went to the student consultancy ETH Juniors um, and this is like the first touch point that I had basically with entrepreneurship. Um, because it's like a small enterprise, so to say. But also there's several startups that came out of it. Um, for example, the founders of Gadget Guide were there, or Terralytics. Um, so you already have some, some role models and you're wondering, yeah. could that be something for me? Um, but the other part there was consulting, obviously, um, in a student consultancy. So that made me actually have a deeper look into it during an internship. So I went to Roland Berger for an internship in Zurich, liked it very much, received an offer, but then decided in the end I should do my master's only with a master's you're a real engineer mm -hmm. um, so I went outside of Zurich which was another pivot that a lot of people were questioning because usually you go to ETH in order to do your master's there because it's difficult to get in but once you've accomplished a bachelor you don't have to have like certain grades or so mm -hmm. but I decided to go away because I just wanted to see something else again um, and I decided to go to the US also to have like 
this insight on the entrepreneurial view and what everyone talks, it talks about, like this startup scene. Um, I was, I would say, secretly hoping also to find a startup there that I could join or have an idea with other people to kick it off, um, which didn't ha happen in the end. I also didn't do too many efforts, like I took some entrepreneurial classes, but in the end I took the convenient way to take the offer from consulting and went back to Zurich. Mm -hmm. I um, was then for like more than two and a half years in consulting, also focusing on industrial products and services, so still keeping my engineering background. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in the end, coming to, to my current journey, um, so I still had this entrepreneurial feeling in me, and I mean, that sounds super abstract, but in the end, um, only when I took a little bit of a step back and had to take a break, actually, when I had a little accident and a small operation, and I really had to stop traveling for business, uh, took off for like several weeks. I could reflect a bit what am I currently doing and what do I want. So um, I read some books and actually realized that I always wanted to do something myself, like yeah. work for myself, define what a good enterprise looks like or company, it's not an enterprise, <laughs> um, and how to work with each other, uh, define the people that I like to work with, um, Yes, and this um, brought me to nothing. <laughs> so in the end, I didn't do anything. Um, but I was lucky to join a conference from the Femtech Alumni um, Association here in Berlin. Um, and I joined this workshop for founders. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool, let's, let's go yeah. in there. Um, so I um, just sat very far in the back and was like, you know, closing my arms and like trying to listen and like, please don't notice me, don't mind me. In the end, they also wanted to know what I'm doing here. So I said, like, yeah, I just want to wanna see, like, get some inspiration. I might have an idea, mm, don't know, but yeah, let's see. So this one uh, girl asked me, so why are you not doing it? And mm -hmm. I'm like, actually, I don't know. Good question. I didn't have an answer. Yeah. And I think always when you don't have an answer to a question, that's the most, like, interesting moments. Um, yeah. So this basically, uh, this was like in, in spring, I think 2019, and it took me really like several months in the end um, to take the next step. Like I was struggling. I was, I, I remember with, with my boyfriend back then, like I was in my apartment crying, like, I don't know what to do. Like I, I, I need to focus on consulting, but I want to work on something. So in the end, I um, decided to take like a low risk approach. I went to my mentor and consulting and asked him for a sabbatical. And he was totally in, he was super supportive. And I went quite quick that I could take off six months. In the end, it was nine months. Mm -hmm. um, and I could work on Ecomio, um, which resulted in the current state. A crazy journey and I think everyone goes through these situations you know where you are facing a point where you maybe don't know which step, step to take next and you need to really take the time to reflect and it can be six months it can be nine months it can be maybe even longer even shorter it's up to every like individual but and um, what would really interest me is every time you made those pivots mm -hmm. how did you make those decisions uh, in order to know okay maybe this could be another next step for me now mm -hmm. um, I believe what always is necessary is like to take a step back obviously <clears throat> be it like in the day-to-day -day life 20 minutes for a small decision or really some weeks or even months for a, a bigger decision and 
this is the first difficult point because you need to actively take it. Um, I mean, all of us, we're struggling with the daily life and there's so much to do and we're so busy. So how would I actually have time to do that? Um, so it's it's this step. And once you once you figure it out that you need to think about something, I believe like um, for me, it's always like I, I'm a personality. I need to inform myself first a bit, like read a bit, listen a bit, um, reflect on this and then um, aggregate my own opinion out of it what I do next is like I I challenge this with um, other people that I know that have gone this way or that have an opinion on it or that that can somehow relate to it Um, and the the first step is actually more important to have your own opinion like informed opinion because um, what you cannot end up with is that you hear opinions from others which is just a social norm and then you um, start following the social norm again like yeah. which would be no you should stay in consulting like you have a good salary great uh, career opportunities which is everything's great like I yeah. mean I didn't build this from like a struggle point of view yeah. like rather a comfort point of view but um, uh, that's like the the third part basically taking those two worlds like your own opinion and what you've heard um, pivoting your idea or your your opinion, or actually staying uh, with it, with the very conscious question behind, like, do I do this because of my own belief or because of other people's or the social belief? And especially, I think in those situations, a lot of people, if they go through change, they face kind of this guilty, you know, this guilty stage where they're not quite sure. How did you like every time you made a pivot? How did you overcome that stage to just say, okay? I need to jump now because this will bring me like a lot further than staying here, maybe in my comfort zone, although everything seems nice. Yeah. Um, I need to make the step now in order to actually yeah. become what I want to become. Yeah. I think this aspect is extremely important. Um, you just need to start and yeah. then you you figure out things. Like It all evolves. Like you cannot imagine what the next steps could be, but just take the very first little steps and then things will turn out and you will evolve. Um, for me, I I tend to ask myself the question, what's the worst thing that could happen if I take this decision? For example, uh, like in November, I, lived, uh, I moved from Munich to Berlin and um, I took this decision very spontaneously. Like I took like an evening, sat outside on the balcony, um, was drinking a glass of wine um, and was basically reflecting on this like why am I still in Munich um, why not move to Berlin um, and yeah it's it's this reflecting time but actually then the question okay what what would be the worst thing that can happen if I move to Berlin I don't like it what happens then what's the next thing I move back I mean it's it has some admin um, efforts but in the end like it's it's not a mess and you've tried it and you will never tell yourself oh what if I would have just moved to Berlin one day and now I'm super happy so I'm happy about the decision (laughs) super cool yeah I think it's 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 also sometimes you know I, I feel like um those evenings or those days and sometimes it's so clear to you okay that now you have to jump otherwise you'll be unhappy mm. afterwards of not like taking a chance and then just actually doing that and just like you said like involving in the process and like think new things will involve i think yeah. doing that process 
Nice. Um, coming back to um, Ecomio, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not so easy to pronounce, so I have to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, we had um, this, maybe maybe for listeners, we had this um, discussion before how to pronounce it, if it's Ecomio or Ecomio. Yeah. It resulted from the idea, something that sounds like Personio. In the end, um, most people say Ecomio, so... What, whatever you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, that's good. Yeah, it's like how people perceive it, right? And then it mm. usually get, gets established like that. I think it's quite funny how you sometimes imagine it to be different and then just people pick it up super differently in the end. Um, but that's also fine, I guess. Um, and yeah, coming back to like your uh, founding journey, um, maybe you can explain a bit um, what you're doing at Ecomio right now and um, why you decided to tackle this exact problem at this stage of your career and your like founding life. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so the idea originated obviously from my own experience when I was traveling a lot as a consultant and um, the, the first moment that I, that I was thinking about this problem was basically when I just started there um, and I think the first lesson that my project manager wanted to teach me is if you book a travel, please book within the travel policies. But here's one or two tricks how you can also earn a lot of miles <clears throat> um, and hotel bonbon points, for example, or six points or Deutsche Bahn points. So obviously, like as a young professional, you go with this, you, you try to adapt. Um, but I saw step by step that there's like very perverse um, habits or behaviors resulting from this. Um, so I only uh, um, developed it further during my sabbatical together with a high school friend first and then I onboarded um, uh, my, my other two co-founders on it and in, in the beginning it actually all evolved about um, how can we be more cost efficient or more cost aware because um, often when you spend something from the company you're like yeah it's on the company anyways I don't care yeah. like I can do an expensive dinner I can take an expensive hotel room but you would never do this if you do if, if you pay it privately yeah. um, so it evolves around um, sharing a value that you create for your company the whole idea revolves around it so um, the first part was if you save costs, then you receive a part of this cost oh, as okay. a benefit for it. Um, and especially with Zara, um, one of my co-founders joining, she was working at Atmosphere before. She was also mm -hmm. in consulting, but then basically realizing, I want to do something with a bit more impact. Yeah. Um, she brought in a lot this uh, carbon reduction perspective. And also since then, I changed like my, my whole habits of doing things. Like I'm way more conscious. So um, it was basically a synergy of both and we realized that it actually goes hand in hand or like Bill Gates would say there's a green, a positive green premium. Like you don't need to pay on top in order to be sustainable but if you travel sustainable when it comes to business travel you, you save costs automatically in 90% of the cases. So we can combine both and create an incentive for the travelers to actually um, help the company to achieve both cost saving and carbon reduction. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and this is the, the, the current concept that we're following. So basically when you as a business traveler decide for a more eco-friendly alternative, for example, the train instead of the plane, you receive a reward depending on how much value you created for the company. Mm -hmm. And how is this that done? So it's um, your 
uh, model that offer, uh, operates B2B, um, obviously. And so me as a company, um, then we have you as a well partner or like a <laughs> provider for, for doing that, right? So how do you, uh, how, how do I as a company incorporate your offering yeah. then? How's it like that? Yeah, sure. So it's a software product. Mm -hmm. um, and the first step that we take with customers is we look on how they traveled historically. So we analyze their travel behavior based on their historical travel data. Um, and out of this, we aggregate a benchmark behavior. For example, the, the best case is always Munich, Berlin. How often do employees uh, take the train versus the plane? And... Um, how much um, potential do we see in this? Like, if it's already 90% train, then obviously there's not so much potential from our side to bring anymore, only maybe 10% bringing the people who fly to the train. Yeah. Um, but this basically, yes, gives us a benchmark behavior. And the most important step now is that we apply this benchmark behavior to the current market situation. Mm -hmm. So what is available on the market? For example, during COVID now, there's way different offers than before COVID. And um, the other aspect is to which price is this offer available? And we are not talking here about the price that you and I could get, but the price that the company actually negotiated with the suppliers. Mm -hmm. Like big corporates, they have special prices with hotels, with airlines and so on. Um, and those two ingredients, they give us a baseline. On the one hand, for the carbon footprint, like mm -hmm. train versus plane, and on the other hand, for the cost um, baseline. And... Um, from this, we can then determine what is actually a better behavior that we want to incentivize. Mm -hmm. um, and this we show the, the travelers, now the software part comes in, um, in their online booking tool. And those people that we're targeting, they're not booking on booking.com or kayak or whatever. They're actually um, having their own corporate booking tool. And there's like three or four market leaders, so to say, in the segment that we're targeting in the um, German-speaking market. Um, and we integrate in there and show the traveler right when they take the decision um, which offer they should rather book and how much um, value they create and therefore receive a reward from the company. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the third part is then our performance dashboard. Um, this is the only standalone solution. The rest is fully integrated in the software um, uh, setup of the company. So the standalone solution is basically... I would say a learning platform for the travelers. Um, so of course you can see there like reporting wise, where do my um, incentives come from? When do I get a payout for example? Um, but you can also compare yourself with your peers um, from your company. And most importantly, cool. you can create a learning experience. Mm -hmm. So um, when I take the plane Munich, New York, um, how does that compare when I switch from business to economy class versus um, taking the train from Munich to Berlin instead of flying? Um, so educating so that you can also take a different decision in the future, ideally also on your private trips. Super cool. And um, you just mentioned already um, your co-founders and I think one of the uh, women you co-founded with you met in high school. Maybe you could uh, say a few words again about how you met and then also how you split up tasks from the mm -hmm. beginning to find out, okay, where is each person good at? You said mm -hmm. that, that, that engineering background, um, is that still something um, that you're doing right now in the company mm -hmm. and how did, how did you like start setting, setting it up? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so the the first person that joined is Lucas. Um, so he's a boy, but I know okay. him from high school. <laughs> um, he studied law, and I just remembered, like from a glacier hike that we did, that we were taking this time to talk about startup. But basically, he was like, "Ah, I don't want to be like a typical lawyer." I took like some um, some some online courses to learn how to code, and so I remembered the spirit of him. And once I was taking the sabbatical, I right away thought about him and called him, "Hey." I have six months to work on something you want to join. He's like, yes, super cool. I don't want to join like a big law firm and I don't know what to do. So let's let's just try it out. Um, so we were kind of complementary in the sense that I had like this uh, very structured consulting approach and he was like, rather challenging from another perspective. Um, right now he's working as a state attorney and he's in the role as a, a legal advisor for us, which yeah. is insanely valuable because we have all those topics um, about um, building contracts, negotiating things and he's the one not only bringing in the legal knowledge but also this challenging aspect from he's part of the team, he knows exactly how everything works but still he's not involved in the day-to-day -day life yeah. so every time I have like a, I face a difficult decision I call him up because he just has like a great understanding of things. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's that's Lucas. Um, then uh, Sarah and Mario are um, the other two full-time co-founders that joined um, around November 2020. Mario, I know um, from back from ETH. Um, mm -hmm. He was also in the same student consultancy, ETH Juniors. We never worked there together, but um, it's a great network and so we got to know each other and um, uh, I knew from the beginning if this guy says that he joins I have no doubts that he'll perform well because it's like kind of a, a stamp like a standard that once you've been there and you didn't get thrown out or you didn't go out yourself yeah. you, you you have some credibility kind of um, and Zara I met through a big coincidence and I'm still very happy about that um, <laughs> Uh, that's also a funny fact about networking because we both were at a networking event where we actually both didn't want it to be kind of. Uh -huh. It was um, like a networking event from the Deutsche Bahn and we we're like, ah, like this, uh, not sure where, what this results to or results in. Mm -hmm. um, and I was giving a keynote speech um, about pointless travel that was our branding back then. And there was this girl asking exactly the right questions and I didn't have an answer to them. Yeah. Um, so in the end, it turned out that there was Sarah and we connected afterwards and she was also in consulting with an atmosphere and an atmosphere she was supposed to build like a, a similar product. So she knew the challenges that I was mm -hmm. facing back then. And yeah, it turned out that um, she wanted to change company and wanted to have another atmosphere. And so I could convince her to join us. Super cool, and then um, and then so she, she she joined later on, and which part did she take over then? Yeah, so um, actually the first thought that also Luca said was like, yeah, but do you really need this addition now on the team? Because she was also in consulting, and what will be her role? In the end, it turns out that um, we're both quite complementary. Mm -hmm. um, 
in the sense that she's super creative. I'm not so creative. I'm very structured and da 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 da. Um, and yeah, she she brought in especially the carbon uh, perspective, so um, the whole calculation behind how to assess the carbon footprint. Um, and so the current roles are: um, I'm in the role of CEO. So that's currently in the current situation involves all around fundraising and um, hiring Bzop uh, Azop, like really from the first company building to the more advanced company building and um, she's um, taking over now the uh, so her, her title is chief business development officer which was in the beginning rather the conceptualization and right now she's more jumping into the sales and marketing aspect and then will onboard more people um, from the team and to finish that Mario obviously is our CTO so chief technical officer um, and he's um, guiding the, the product development team. So maybe another question there um, because that's also um, yeah I'm quite, I, I imagine quite different and now having that CEO role and also having like your different background so how did you also kind of grow into that role mm. how did you make your first steps into that role how did you involve prepared yourself kept learning and so on yeah um, that's a good question I um, so I think I, I struggled a bit in the beginning to call myself CEO mm -hmm. because it sounds like so hierarchical um, mm. so like a hierarchy um, and I didn't want that um, mm. So in the end, for for me, it was always important to hand over responsibilities as as early as possible and as fast as possible to other people. And I also struggled with this because obviously, like I had the first uh, idea of this concept, and I like had this whole story in my mind. And um, in the first few months, when new people join, like you first need to onboard them, obviously. But then taking the step from um, okay, now it's not me anymore that takes every decision. You give it over. This is something that I that I learned a lot. Um, and f like the question that I that I tend to start asking once I see that okay, I trust this person to take on the good decisions is um, when they ask me, okay, so what shall we do? Is um, I ask, okay, so what do we need to know in order to make a final decision? Yeah. And then they come up with it, or um, I ask, okay, so you say we need this. So what would you do next? So not giving them the decision, even though I have my opinion, obviously, yeah. but really trying to let go a bit so that I'm also not the bottleneck because at some point also I noticed that obviously I, I don't have more than 24 hours a day. I need sleep, I need to eat, I need to uh, do sports. Um, so it needs to be kind of, starts to be independent of me and that's that's how I do that. Yeah, so you already mentioned um, team in a couple of points now. So... Um, You also mentioned, um, I think in a different interview, that actually team is one of the most important things to make the company successful in the end, mm -hmm. right? So um, I maybe you can also say at the beginning how many people you are right now sure. um, and then also how are you? Um, how did you start building a team where everyone can perform best in the end and yeah. constantly making sure that this is the case? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so currently in the team, if you are counting heads, so to say, we're, we're 11, not everyone full-time involved and so on, mm -hmm. um, but basically 11 people and starting to grow more, um, as, you, as you say, full-time employees or full-time equivalent FTEs mm -hmm. um, with our uh, fundraising round currently. Um, 
And yes, so, so how do you make sure that everyone uh, um, can live up to their highest potential? Um, I think that rolls a lot about our values that we created as well, uh, because that's something that we want to create for ourselves, obviously, too. And what we found out is, on the one hand, the, the topic about responsibility that I already touched upon, yeah. that you need this in order also to develop your own thoughts and really dive into a topic because otherwise you're just executing. Yeah. And there's people, obviously, or personalities that um, also enjoy just executing and don't want to have this deep dive at least in their job they have some other topics where, where they would deep dive um, but what we are obviously looking for especially in the current state is people who want to take on this responsibility um, and bring in their own opinion they have their own personality also um, then an, another topic I believe that gives people the, the possibility to perform to their highest potential is a transparency like a transparent way of communicating so if there's something going wrong not holding it back but mentioning it ideally immediately in the situation um, or taking the time and mentioning it and for this what, what we created is like a whole feedback concept also that we talk regularly with each other and it's not um, feedback doesn't mean for us um, I tell you what I find good and what I don't find good about you um, this is like a very very small part of it um, I would say 90% of the time we really spend asking each other questions and for mm -hmm. this, like, I have a catalog of questions that I extend all the time. Um, and it's cool because you can see people are reflecting also on their experience and what they want. Um, and this way, I also get an overview of um, how the team is doing yeah. and what we might might need to change. Um, and the, the, the third part that is uh, quite important to us, obviously, is a learning experience. Um, I mean, it comes without saying that... If you build a startup, you learn every day something new. Um, but still also, if you, or especially if you onboard new people, they have a different background. Um, and for us, it's important to ensure that they have a learning experience where they also want to go to. So on the one mm -hmm. hand, taking into account where they are coming from. Um, if there's an expert, for example, where we just hired um, um, someone for, for our sales team, our first hire, and um, he's he has a great experience and for me it was very important to figure out in the interview um, uh, what he already knows and what we can bring him skill-wise um, uh, for, for the future. You just mentioned those feedback questions like uh, <laughs> what are you, like your top two like favorite feedback questions you ask and maybe also your I don't know top two or three like hiring questions to figure out exactly what you still what you can bring to that person yeah. no matter where they are at their journey yeah I would need to have my I'm, I'm I have a very very bad memory I have to admit so I would <laughs> need to have my that's why I have a catalog but yeah. one question that I like to ask is for example um if you were me what would you do differently yeah um nice and um What is, what is the biggest opportunity that we're currently missing out? Mm -hmm. this is also one where you get very interesting answers. And it's often when you, when you ask those more complicated questions, this is how you get to the bottom or to the root of the thoughts. Um, if you ask someone instead, for example, uh, what do you think we could do better? Um, or the worst would be, um, do you think that we could do anything better? then you can answer with no or yes. 
like it's a close question so um i i try to also teach myself how to um how to ask the right question um because i mean that's why you have a talk right you want to you want to get to to know the thoughts and the and the people behind and you just one follow up question are you doing that with every employee or yeah. are you Okay, yeah. Nice. So obviously, like to my, if you want to say it like this, the direct report. So my co-founders, yeah. I do it more regularly. Um, for the product development uh, development team, for example, um, I gave the responsibility again to Mario, our CTO, that he's responsible for this team to feel good, to have a learning experience, and so on, yeah. to take on responsibilities. Um, so I rather ask him, how is your team going? Yeah. Um, But then, obviously, also um, out of a sense of appreciation and respect, and because I just wanna wanna also know it, and I'm uh, genuinely interested in it, I, I also take the time to talk to them, yeah. but less often than together. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. And the second part of my first question was um, for the hiring questions. Like, what is like your, your top? Two, what are the top two questions that you like to ask there? Yeah. Um, Not sure if anything comes into my mind, to be honest. Not that I want to hold it back, but basically how, how we came up with those questions, that's maybe also an interesting aspect, um, is we we first ask ourselves, what do we need in a person that we hire in general and then very specifically for a role? Yeah. Um, and I was lucky to have a training actually for interviewing back in consulting. So I took a lot of questions from there and methods Um And we basically uh, have in the end like a, a guideline so that we have like also can um, establish a standard, um, a guideline on uh, rating people according to those um, criteria. So I think it's five or six criteria yeah. um, where we do a rating from uh, one to four, I believe, um, and then sum up the points. Um, and yeah, regarding the questions, maybe maybe I have something that, that I can tell you in a bit. I, I would need to reflect sure. on that, to be honest. Sure. No, <laughs> it also depends a lot on the... <laughs> On the CB, mm -hmm. because um, what I what I like to do is um, to make people comfortable, obviously in the um, in the interview, yeah. so that they are themselves and they don't try to be someone else or artificial. And um, yeah, one question, for example, that would come up um, if you have as a hobby um, to go uh, inland skating, yeah. um, I would ask you something about. To, to explain to me something about inland skating. Mm -hmm. So, for example, what's the best technique so that I can see how you explain things and if I can grasp your idea when you're trying to explain something that you actually know very well. Yeah, That's, really, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how much uh, would you say, especially in the beginning, um, when you're still maybe also quite young as a startup, how much do you actually hire for someone's attitudes and mm. for someone's maybe also values that fit to your company rather than skills mm. um, very interesting point and I think um, like yeah, from from a natural perspective you tend to hire from skills and you see like on a CV wow this person studied here and this person worked there um, and we try not to do it um, I still saw us unconsciously doing it because you're like, yeah, this person already was in the marketing department of this startup, so took probably something that we can learn from. Um, but so to answer your question first, we try to hire 100% on attitude because I believe that we have so many things that 
are not standard that we are doing in the current stage. So you need to have someone who has an attitude to learn and to, to experience new things. Um, but at the same time, you have those this bias to go with a CV point of view. And it looks nice that this person worked at BCG at some other startup and uh, studied, I don't know, in St. Gallen or mm -hmm. at MIT or whatever. Um, and if you see this, you tend to obviously look only at it. But what I've experienced is that you often also have exactly the people behind it who are mostly looking at their CV. And this doesn't give us any value if they just come to us because they're like, hey, then I have worked in a startup, green tech, and uh, business development, for example, or financing. or And yeah, yeah. so it's, it's really about attitudes. In the end, yeah. Um, mm, two questions, um, maybe, or, or like one important one that I would still um, like to talk about uh, quickly is that um, through the um, pandemic, um, mm -hmm. I can imagine people travel less, right? Mm -hmm. So at least that's a thought or an assumption that I have. Um, so how much did it affect or does it affect your business model in the end? And um, then maybe we can also touch up, up on, mm. you just mentioned you're currently in the fundraising stage, what you're doing there, how, how that maybe impacted it or not. Yeah. Um, but the first one first. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, um, we started this during the pandemic, uh, where yeah. also everyone was looking like, especially when I was still kind of in the beginnings without Sarah and Mario, like everyone was looking at me like, you sure you want to continue this? And um, I basically had to also take a step back and reflect on it and um, took the time to, talk, to take a very conscious decision. Um, in the end, and so in the, in the beginning of it, I believe that we had more time than other startups to build the team, to build the company structure so that now we have a solid state and from this we can grow way better and more sustainable and we know what we do it for. Um, so this was a positive aspect, but obviously, like um, it was harder to to get the solution to users because companies didn't really want to make a decision because they didn't know how the future would look like, and they had other issues when it comes to business travel. Um, so this made it harder, but I think we really got some some positive aspects out of it, and um, we also decided to focus on for example, consulting companies or service-oriented companies who have some kind of um, need to travel, um, especially for customers or for suppliers, for example, so that um, we do look into what can we also do in order to avoid a travel because this is like obviously the biggest impact that you can have. But if you take a travel, um, what's the best way to go with it? And so that's why we took... Um, basically the, the focus on service-oriented companies where we see the biggest value that we can create. This might change in the future when other companies travel again more and we'll, we'll see how it evolves. Mm -hmm. How do you think personally how it's going to, like how is that even when we hopefully finally like end the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, what, um, what aspect will stay yeah. in terms of people are actually staying more in, maybe at one place and travel less? Mm -hmm. for work so I think it's a very good aspect that you don't need to be there for every single mm -hmm. meeting um, which is way more efficient but still like you see that the connections are so different that you get with people when you meet them in person um, for example we've been to the web summit in Lisbon uh, end of last year and 
And this was the first big event that we attended um, because of COVID. And the people that we got to know that we have such a different relationship with them yeah. compared to the ones that you just get introduced by email and then have a video call. And there's tons of people. I mean, also talking about the fundraising round, like I have a list of so many potential investors and it's so arbitrary. Um, but um, coming back to your question, I believe that um, you don't need to have this regularly, okay, every time we meet, or every time we talk, we need to meet. Um, but still, uh, there's this um, need inside of us for meeting people and getting to know people. I mean, obviously, also, we are doing the podcast right now in presence, yeah. which is so much more pleasant than just sitting in front of a screen and then I jump to my next meeting. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, luckily, the internal meetings, I believe, are getting less. External meetings, um, there's some necessity, for example, when you install a machine. Maybe far in the future you can do that with uh, virtual reality or artificial reality also. Um, but there is the need for travel, obviously. And if you want to have a relationship with your customer and convince your customer to do something or a supplier, then you need to travel and that's for external reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's a huge, <laughs> huge difference, right? That's why I also like to record the podcast in the end yeah. in person because it's just a completely different vibe actually having you like physically here yeah. and not like across <laughs> I mean it's also nice that that's possible yeah. in the end yeah, right definitely. but um, I do believe that our, also people after the pandemic are craving also the mm. physical touch maybe again and yeah. maybe also that's why it will even increase I'm not sure yeah, yeah and maybe maybe talking about numbers um What uh, a lot of different forecasts, if you summarize them, what, what they believe in is that 2024 will be the year when you have the same travel volume again as 2019. Uh -huh. um, so hopefully this will be coming true yeah. um, for, for the business model at least. So we can also have an impact for those travels that have to happen to make them more eco-friendly. I actually just a question comes uh, to my mind. Ever uh, did you ever thought about also making that for the um, for the private consumer in the end to to be more uh, to be able to travel more sustainable? Like me as a person going to Lisbon now, um, yeah. for example, did you ever thought about also implementing that? Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of ideas yeah. <laughs> where, where this could go to. Um, but yeah, like we really saw that in the moment we need to focus to build a good product to get the traction yeah. um, and from there we can expand um, with a good business model also bring impact to, to other segments yeah. be it like with other users or even other products outside of business travel for example yeah, yeah. makes sense um, coming back to the um, financing questions mm -hmm. uh, maybe one more time so um, how, how did you start off um, did you already raise external capital mm -hmm. and um, If so, how did that happen and um, at what stage are you now? At? Sure. So we had the great, great privilege to receive our first funding equity-free from um, a fund that was initiated by the student consultancy that we are part of, mm -hmm. ETH. Um, it's solely meant for alumni of this um, student consultancy um, and you don't have any obligations mm -hmm. really like you should pay it back if you're successful but there's no definition of success so this is amazingly great because it takes off the risk that you think you have yeah. um, and it gives you some money to um, cover the first expenses and not do it out of your own po uh, pocket yeah. 
Um, so this was the first part and then we received another equity free funding which is the Exist Scholarship yeah. uh, which is very well known in Germany it's like um, co-financed by the German government and the European Union or the uh, European Social ESM I'm not, 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 quite sure, not, not 100% yeah. sure what it's yeah. sent for now um, and this basically finances up to three salaries of full-time founders so that's what mm. we received for a year and additional expenses again, another 30,000 euro for, for example, laptop screens and yeah. um, other contracts with suppliers. Nice. Um, and this is ending now. Um, and that's why uh, we say, okay, how, how does this continue? So we go into our fundraising round. But more importantly, we do this because um, we see that the, the market demand really is rising. Like we are not really active on the market so far in terms of marketing. Mm -hmm. We're doing a LinkedIn post every two weeks and that's it. Yeah. Um, and still receive inbound re requests, um, yeah. which we need to handle obviously and we want to handle them well and generate learnings from it to make it more scalable. Um, but we see that the, the time that we have is tight. So that's why we say, okay, we need to expand our team uh, on the one hand on marketing and sales, on the other hand on um, on product development. And so, yeah, currently we're going out on fundraising, focusing on, on business angels with a convertible debt. Mm -hmm. So basically, once there's the follow-on fundraising, their investment will convert into equity. That's, that's the mm -hmm. concept. Um, and there, again, we have like a great... Um, funding support from the states which is called the invest program from the BAFA and it basically gives business angels 20% of the money they, that they invest back cash the mm -hmm. moment they invested it so it's a great incentive for, for them also mm -hmm. to spend more obviously on, on the investment mm -hmm. and uh, at what part of the year are you planning to close it so basically we just started the talks um, uh, beginning of last week kind of, mm -hmm. um, or two weeks ago, um, so that's mid-January kind of, and I'm very happy that we see a very good traction, so we're like, from a financial point of view, it would be good to close at end of March, could be also later, mm -hmm. but I believe that we can close it now way faster, um, and I could basically also go back to the day-to-day um, -day life, bring yeah. forward the company, um, because it's basically me who's uh, responsible for the process now. And uh, how did you there like prepare yourself? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good question. I mean, um, the the very first step that was important here was um, all the accelerator programs that we're part of, starting with Expreneurs, Grow F, and female founders. Also, the program of RWTH Aachen, the incubation program. Um, so there, you get like a basic understanding of it. I listen to some podcasts a bit. Um, 20 Minute BC is a great one that I would recommend to anyone. Um, and then I took exactly the same approach that I do with every other challenge. I um, I built my own informed opinion. So what we did is basically we um, like I I showed the team several scenarios of uh, financing that we could take, like. Should we uh, um, raise 2 million, 500,000, 100,000? This would enable us to do blah, 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 blah. Um, and we consciously decided for one scenario. And then I took, I think, even like a month or like, let's say, three weeks to challenge this with investors, with, um, uh, with other founders, um, because it's not like a typical approach that we took in the end. Um, 
And in the end, I heard a lot of um, question marks and exclamation marks, like, you're sure you want to do it like this? I would recommend you blah, blah, blah. And there again, like, we took the very conscious decision to say, this is what we stand for. And the other things that people are telling us are rather like the typical journey and the social norm. And if we believe in our way, we should stick to it. And so there again, like the the way to do it or the way we, we did it in the end is like, okay, let's just start and see how the reaction is. And in the end, I have to admit, like, it feels so great to talk to people that you can really relate to because they stand behind your plan and you stand behind your plan mm -hmm. compared to, okay, I only have investors that look good, that think that this typical journey is the good one, but in the end, maybe the uh, chemical connection wouldn't be that great yeah yeah really great um, to hear also that you stick to those I mean those are core values I think of you as a person and of, of your company in the end to maybe also sometimes follow that not normal plan and just go for it and challenge it throughout mm -hmm. the, the way that you that also followed your path that you uh, told me at the beginning of right and um, Okay, actually there's so many more questions that I can ask you, <laughs> um, but maybe um, there are two last ones I, I would like to finish off with, um, the first one being, what's a book that everyone needs to read in your opinion? Um, one good book that I didn't finish myself, yes I have to admit, <laughs> is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman, um, it gives just so many concepts, um, it's, yeah, Buy it, read it, and, and build your own opinion on it. I, I will not say more. And actually, one that I uh, read recently um, is called Untamed, mm -hmm. um, which challenges also all the um, social norms. Yeah. And I could take a, a lot from it also regarding the fundraising, like really thinking, like, uh, are we just following the norms or is this us? Like, um, yeah. So th this one is a, is a great one too. Super nice. And then um, the last question um, to finish it off. If you could think of a place where a lot of people passing by every day, like a place like Times Square, you know, <laughs> I thought of, which quote, or which message would you put there for them to read and take on on their like next journey, on their path? With yeah. Them? Um, as you might expect, <laughs> that's not part of the quote. <laughs> Um, follow your heart and not the socially accepted norm if it's not within your heart um, and that's basically also resulting a bit from, from the book uh, Untamed I would say yeah super great I think um, that's a nice quote to finish off this episode Katharina thank you so so much for sharing um, this with me I hope to maybe meet you soon again uh, in a, maybe within a year or something to discuss what, what happened throughout this year but um, yeah I think um, it's a great journey and um, I, I really um, appreciate all the learnings and also the, the like honesty that you shared with us in this podcast episode so Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Great questions and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> cool. Then everyone else, thank you um, for listening. Thank you um, for staying until here. And then I would say we'll see you all in the next week on Monday again. Bye-bye.